Well, the one redeeming thing about yet another rainy Sunday, and it does look like it has stopped. Um, so maybe um, between now and uh, Palm Sunday, we'll have lots of sunshine, and then Palm Sunday will be like none other Sunday that we remember. It'll be completely sunny, and everyone will want to leave their homes and venture forth into the great outdoors and come to church. because And hopefully there'll be a gust of wind, because it's going to be kite day as well. We're going to have uh, a jazz Palm Sunday service that's going to be amazing. And after that, we're going to Betty Virginia Park for our annual picnic and uh, our kite flying. So pray, pray for good weather and uh, pray for a good wind. But the one redeeming thing about this rain-soaked weekend is that it's not so bad staying inside when it's March Madness, right? Any March Madness fans, anybody uh, still have a team that's left to cheer for? But it, it provides us with the very best the NCAA has to offer uh, with basketball. I mean, it's got the underdog drama. There's always somebody that you've never heard of coming out of nowhere uh, to beat the team that you like. There's always a bit of uh, bracket drama as well. And maybe if you're one of those who uh, has a bracket at your office or at school or just among friends, things have a way of changing with those brackets and just all of the unpredictability. But we, we love that and we love to be able to uh, watch that unfold on TV in front of us. But the best part of March Madness is seeing that, that last and final game where uh, someone is able to take the victory and be able to receive the trophy. And I think it all comes down to a team's dedication to win, doesn't it? I mean, sometimes in years past, there's been that lucky shot right as the, uh, the bell is going off. I mean, right as, as uh, the time has run out. And somebody makes that final shot. Maybe someone who really was not the best team, uh, but they were able to do that. But typically it comes down to a team's absolute dedication to win. It comes down to what it is within their hearts that makes them want to win. Something that has been beating inside of their hearts all season long. That desire and that drive to win. And that's a glorious thing to see. And dedication is indeed a powerful attitude, isn't it? It's really what makes the difference between victory and defeat. And that's really what we are talking about this morning. And I'd like to use a different word. Uh, dedication is a powerful word, but I think consecration is even more powerful. And as we get to the end of our Lent and as we begin Holy Week this next Sunday, we are getting to the point uh, where we have more of an opportunity to see what consecration looks like in the life of Jesus. The road that we have been walking along with Him has consisted of four different steps. And I know you've all memorized all of those steps, right? You've been uh, thinking about these all these past four Sundays. Hopefully you have. And hopefully you have been applying those or taking those in your journey with Christ. I do hope that you have not allowed all of the busyness and the distractions that come into our lives to keep you 
from thinking about Jesus. I was uh, having lunch the other day with a friend, and he began to uh, talk about how he was thinking about his journey with Christ. It just kind of uh, took me back for a moment, not because of who he was, but uh, it, it just was a uh, fresh part of our conversation. And, and it led me to think about that too. Where am I on my journey with Christ to the cross? Maybe someone has an answer. <laughs> God is calling. Jesus on the main line. Jesus on the main line. But those steps that we take to help us focus on the journey to the cross with Christ begin with preparation. You remember that first Sunday of Lent, we talked about preparation. Jesus went out into the desert and prepared for what God was going to have him do. But then there was orientation. Jesus gathered disciples around and he gave them an orientation to say, there are several things you need to do to follow me. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and come follow me. Those are the things that you need to do on this job, Jesus says. But then there is application, and we see Jesus going into the temple courts, and he is angry, and he is tossing tables and throwing out uh, the money changers. Not that it was necessarily their fault, but it was the fault of those who had uh, employed them to come into the temple so that they could make money and they could keep people out of the temple. Jesus applies the gospel. And then this past Sunday, we considered salvation. Man, that, that's an important step on the journey with Christ, isn't it? That we as followers of Jesus uh, receive salvation, that, that it's a matter of accepting what God has done for us in Jesus. But today is that final step that we see Jesus taking on this journey to the cross. This journey before Jesus enters into Jerusalem. And we will celebrate that in a big way next Sunday as Jesus is making His way there. It's this parade of Jesus going into Jerusalem. And it is a step that is crucial for Him to take as He heads to the cross. But it is crucial for us as we follow Him there, and as we pick up our own crosses, it is a step of consecration. John's account, and if you'll look there in your pew Bible in John chapter 12, if you'll find that, uh, you, can, you can begin to see these things that Jesus is saying that are so important for our walk with Christ. And his account of Jesus' response to Philip and Andrew. Remember them from earlier as we talked about Jesus calling his disciples. He gets Philip and Andrew and they begin to follow him. But this message that some Greeks were requesting to see him, this sets the scene for our glimpse at how consecrated Jesus is to what God has called him to do with his life. These Greeks, they are non-Jews, but they have a way of worship that is much like the Jews. And, and we understand that they were monotheist and there was some uh, likeness that they found in Jewish worship to where they could go along and be able to participate in what they were doing. 
But they must have either heard about Jesus before. I mean, maybe they heard some of their friends talking about Jesus and what it is that he was doing and the things that he was saying. Or perhaps they were in a crowd of listeners one day and they were at the back of the crowd and they didn't have a chance to interact with Jesus, but they were able to witness some of the things that he was doing. Whatever the case, they were interested in not just hearing about Jesus. They wanted to see Him. They wanted to visit with Jesus. They wanted to get up close and be able to experience a conversation with this man, Jesus. And they identified Philip as one who could make that connection for him. We don't have all of the background there, but they knew enough about Philip to know that Philip knew Jesus. And if they could get Philip to make the introduction, then they would be able to see Jesus. And so they approach him with their request. And this is a request that is inscribed on a lot of pulpits. In fact, some pulpits I have preached in, it's right there on a plaque or it is uh, inscribed in the wood of the pulpit. Sir, we would see Jesus. We wish to see Jesus. This was their request. We want you to show us Jesus. We want you to take us to Jesus. And that's the aim, I think, of every preacher. And if we ever begin to venture off of showing people Jesus, then we've missed our calling. Just as you. If you are not showing people Jesus, the real Jesus, then what are you doing? But this was their request. And they were in town to worship. And I'm not sure if they ever made it to the temple to worship. But it sounds like their hearts were already connecting to the presence of God. As they did get to see Jesus and to hear what Jesus had to say, they were connecting to the presence of God. This presence that was accessible, not just to the Jews, but to all people. John is helping us understand this. John writing years and years and years after uh, this took place. Understands how the gospel had gotten out to, uh, and and by Greek we understand non-Jew, or to uh, the Gentiles. They are hearing about and responding to the gospel of this Jew. There was a segment on new, on the news last night about several people who were uh, going blind. And these several people uh, had already been declared legally blind. Uh, one of them had uh, a particular disease, uh, macular degeneration, and, and some other things that were going on to where they were no longer able uh, to see very well and they were getting closer and closer to becoming uh, legally blind. But someone had arranged for them, some foundation had arranged for them uh, to go and to see some of the great sights of the world uh, before completely going blind. And one of them was standing on the edge of the Grand Canyon, uh, looking out at the breathtaking expanse in front of him as the sun shone in the strata of the canyon walls. Just this beautiful scene. And if you've ever been to the Grand Canyon, you know how the light can change as you look out at that just massive expanse. 
But as the sun was shining on those canyon walls and the the hue of the most beautiful colors that only God could create. As the man was interviewed, as he was there with his seeing-eye dog, he told of how even though he would never see that sight again, he would return to it in his mind over and over again. He may not be able to see it with his physical eyes, but he would see it here in his mind. It was so breathtaking and had been burned into the depths of his mind. He would never forget it. Like this man and like the Greeks seeking Jesus long ago, you and I, we have that amazing opportunity to put our eyes on the greatest wonder of the world, the greatest thing that we could ever see, all blessed by the arrangement God has made for us to see Jesus. Taking the step of consecration comes when we do see Jesus. And I talked about that last week as we talked about this uh, cross that would be lifted up or the pole that Moses would lift up uh, with a bronze serpent so that whenever people looked at that, they would be saved from the, the bite of the snakes there in the desert. And Jesus said, just as that was lifted, so must the Son of Man be lifted up so that whoever sees Him... Whoever believes and trusts in Him for salvation will have it. And so God has allowed us to see Him as well. And when we take that step of consecration, when we're able to echo the words of those Greeks, we wish to see Jesus, then we shall see Him. Is that your wish today? Can you jump in there with those Greeks and identify with what they were saying and what they were experiencing? That you had such a longing to see Jesus that you would really do whatever it took? To the point where you are going out of your way, you're inconveniencing yourself or maybe even other people in order to see Jesus? If we are ever going to follow Him, then we must see Him. And seeing Him means that we are going beyond hearing about Him from other people. And I think that was the key with these Greeks. They, they didn't just rely upon what other people had said about Jesus. They wanted to see Him for themselves. And we need to do that as well. To catch a glimpse of Him from way back in the crowd, that's not going to work. Or just to think that we'll catch Him the next time He's in town. Or maybe the next time we have a chance to read Scripture. Or the next time Easter rolls around, then we'll focus in on seeing Jesus. But that's not how it works. It means that we do whatever it takes to put our eyes on Jesus. And there are plenty of people around uh, to make that arrangement for us. There are plenty of people that will introduce us to Jesus, but you really don't even need that kind of introduction. You can seek Him out and approach Him yourself. That's one of the great values we have here in our church, that we all have access to God. There is this priesthood of the believer. 
And you can go to God without having to rely upon me or relying upon some religious figure or a priest or anyone else. You have access to God. And so what are you doing with that access? Are you looking? Are you seeing the Jesus that is in front of you? Especially in this last season, this last week of Lent. Well, what we learn next from John's account is what happened as Philip passed on the Greek's request to Jesus through Andrew. Jesus gives expression to the deep awareness that he had within him that it was time for him not only to be seen by the Greek visitors, but by the world around him. And this is where we need to pay a special attention, even more attention to the words of Jesus, because it is in these words that we understand more and more of what this cross is all about. How can we celebrate Easter without understanding what the cross is all about? And so Jesus finds it's time for him to start making his way to Jerusalem, knowing that the pathway there would be one that would surely lead him into the hands of the people who were out to get him, especially the high priests. Caiaphas is against Jesus. Jesus is threatening this whole system of religion that Caiaphas has developed. But also the Roman officials, they understand that these messiahs that keep, or people who keep claiming to be messiah in these towns out on the edge of their frontier are causing all kinds of trouble. And what Jesus is saying is a direct threat to Roman authority. And so they were ready to eliminate him from their world, just like they had done with the others who challenged their kingdom. They had put to death by cross a lot of others who had come along. But in the truest statement of consecration, Jesus said, and look at these words, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Jesus says, it's time. This is my final hour coming my way. And in case the people around him didn't understand it, he gave an illustration that he must have thought about many times as he was walking out uh, through the fields and uh, as he was paying attention to the agriculture around him. He says, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Jesus consecrated himself with those words. This was a time of dedication. Just as with the teams that are in this last part of the uh, basketball season, I'm sure coaches are giving their very best speeches to the players, to their team, to say, look, this is your hour. This is what you've been working for all season, especially to those seniors. This could be your last game. This could be the last time you ever play basketball. What are you going to do with it? Calling them to consecrate themselves to what was ahead. Jesus recognized His final hours, and He recognized the need to consecrate Himself. The words of the hymn of promise, uh, or the hymn of bulbs that, that we sang uh, just a moment ago, 
The words are, in the bulb there is a flower, in the seed an apple tree, in cocoons a hidden promise, butterflies will soon be free. In the cold and snow of winter, there's a spring that waits to be, unrevealed until its season, something God alone can see. That's a great hymn, Bill. There's power. There's such power in those words. And as we see how Jesus was uh, consecrating his life, knowing the price that he would pay, we can learn what true consecration to God is all about. It involves dying. Now let me ask you, how do you feel about dying? That's a depressing kind of question, isn't it? How do you feel about dying? I think I know the answer to that. For none of us likes to think about death, and most of us do our dead-level best to keep from dying, don't we? Trying to extend our bodies even longer, we want to we be around for as long as we possibly can. And what we must know from Jesus is that we really can't go on living unless we die. Isn't that a fact of life? Isn't that a truism of the nature that we see around us? As we looked at in the beginning of Lent, we are to die to ourselves. We are to die to our things, to our attachments, to our security, to our fears and our needs. We are to die to our way of doing things in this world if we are ever going to truly and experience and bear the fruit of real life. If you really want to live, Jesus says, you will really die. It is coming to that point in your life when you're willing to say with Jesus, no, it is for this reason that I have come to this hour. Even while saying that, Jesus had in mind that dying came with a tremendous cost but would bring forth even more tremendous results. Much fruit would be born from him, and it would show up soon after his death in the beauty of an empty tomb. And we're going to celebrate that beauty with the Easter lilies that uh, we will have here uh, around the altar table. It's such a beautiful symbol of life, life that comes from death. It would appear also in the days and years uh, after Jesus would die and be resurrected as it would show up in the life of the disciples. It would flow out from them in Jerusalem and be found ultimately all around the world, even here today, as we exist in this place as the result of His complete devotion to God. Where would you be? without the consecration of Jesus. I was recently at a friend's house uh, noticing an amazing sight of beauty up against his house. As I was driving up his driveway, it was something I had not noticed, not seen about his house before. It was a peach tree in full bloom with these radiant pink blossoms popping out through the, the dreary drizzle of that afternoon just so bright. Have you ever seen a peach tree in full bloom? Just an amazing sight. And I asked about it, not knowing what kind of tree it was. 
And so my friend told me the story of how the previous owner had been chomping down on a peach and got to the peach pit and decided to throw the peach pit out the window of his car there in the driveway uh, out into the flower bed, not expecting anything to ever actually happen with it. The seed later grew into the tree, taking him by surprise and producing so many peaches that the owners of the house couldn't even begin to eat them all. I couldn't help but think of what Jesus had to say about the life and the death and the harvest of the seed, understanding that the death before him would not be his final act that he would go into the ground, that he would rise up out of it with a yield of fruit that was so great that we could never begin to consume it all beyond our greatest imagination. And we can take the step of consecration with the awareness that it will not be in vain. You can commit your life fully to Christ here this morning, recognizing that it will not be in vain. The price of our commitment to God will not be wasted. Not at all. It will not be forgotten. And I think that's why Jesus got onto Peter like He did. Peter... The fact that I am going to a cross, the fact that I am going to be fully devoted to God does not mean that that my life will be wasted at all. Nor does it mean, Peter, that your life will be wasted. You're going to be a rock. One day, fruit will come of this. Laying down our lives for the work of God in this world is an investment that will yield a harvest beyond our wildest dreams, impacting and benefiting uh, our lives and lives around us for years to come. Think for a moment what it can look like with your work on a missional ministry team. Consider what can happen if you're on the Lighthouse team, of how your commitment to God there can be just the thing that gives a child the help and the hope to make it through third grade math, or instill them with a lifelong passion for learning. If you're on the veterans team, catch a vision of how God will use your commitment to bring encouragement and gratitude to a veteran who is trying to put his life and his family back together. For those of you on the Visions of Hope team, or who want to be on the Visions of Hope, or on any of these other teams, see how your commitment to people with mental illness can mean the difference between life and death, hope and despair, acceptance and rejection. And Highland Center Ministries team members should consider all the fruit that God will bring from practical offerings like a warm meal, new clothes, or maybe financial help from our financial ministries. Our consecration to God and the price we pay for walking with Jesus will give way to life a life which blossoms with the kind of beauty that will inspire and literally bless the world. This is our time to say with Jesus, it is for this reason that I have come to this hour.